Morning, Glory. Evening, Grace, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. It is time for the Hillsdale Dialogue. Every Friday, I deal either with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, or one of his colleagues on one of the great works of the West. And what a week with which to talk about Aristotle with Dr. Arn. Dr. Arn, welcome. Always a pleasure. Good to talk to you. How are you? I'm great. I have to tell you, I got off the boat in Norway last week and was greeted by three travelers with a sign which we posted over at HughHewitt.com, which was tongue-in-cheek. It was funny. It said, greetings to Dennis Prager. It had my picture. But they were were wonderful people, Kari, Alexis, and their son, Elias, and they'd driven three hours to to tell me how much they loved the show. And then Kari, the dad, made a special point to say, please thank Dr. Arn for the Hillsdale Dialogues. They enrich his life dramatically. Isn't that amazing what technology allows? You know, I was just in Norway. I wish I'd known. Oh, now they're going to, they would have greeted you with the picture. Welcome, yeah, well, Dennis Prager. That, 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 may be, that may be more contact than they wish for, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they are both graduates of a wonderful small college in Minnesota called Northwestern College. But yeah. they live in Norway, and uh, she is an American, and he's a Norwegian, and their kids are dual citizens, and they just love this dialogue hour. And wow. so I just wanted to pass that on to you, that all, all around the world we're advancing the study of the great text, so I'm, I'm pleased with that. Now, I'm not pleased, though, with what the Supreme Court did this week. And in the context of the politics by Aristotle, the rule of the one, the few, and the many, what is this decision, Larry Arn? Uh, Well, in that context, you know, Aristotle takes issue in the second book of the politics with the regime that that Socrates creates in the Republic. And in this regime, Socrates, uh, the Republic is in in one level, it's a thought experiment. How would you make a perfect regime? And and he says, and, and they set out to do that, and one of the features of it is the family goes away. And sex is a matter of state policy, and it's anonymous, and the children are raised in common. And Aristotle protests against that, as, by the way, Socrates himself does in the laws and other writings, because the family is a natural unit, and the city or the political entity cannot become just a simple unity, because human beings are not made that way. And 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 uh, Aristotle even says it's an attempt to make it into a household, and the family is a very stubborn thing, and it isn't going to go away in America. It, it, maybe it can be compromised, but that will harm the nation fundamentally, because that word nature itself comes from the Latin word for birth. We human beings have a way of growing. And we, just like oak trees grow in a certain way and require certain things about them to grow to be strong and healthy, so human beings have a way that they grow. And the biological facts about human beings are very stubborn. On the one hand, we have more discretion over our procreation than any other being, and yet our procreation is more demanding than other living beings, almost any of them because human babies take a very long time to raise. And there's all kinds of data about what happens when they're raised outside a monogamous family headed by a mother and a father. And cases of divorce, even, uh, have bad outcomes for, on the average, much more commonly, for the offspring than in united families. So we're tampering with something very fundamental now, And we're reducing politics uh, from uh, the natural rights 
of human beings to the will, to whatever we prefer. And goodness knows how far that can go. Now, it's interesting. You went immediately to the central dilemma by going to to book two of the politics. I was thinking more about the latter books because the means of the decision by which we have so cavalierly walked away from this natural family came from the ruling of five individuals and or actually six if one considers the district court judge. And I, I have to ask before I forget if you have had a chance yet to read the withering footnote by Justice Alito in dissent about the conduct of Judge Walker's district court trial on Proposition 8. One of the things he singles out for ridicule is Judge Walker's dismissal of the great ancient thoughts and texts on marriage because those uh, individuals could not be produced in the courtroom. Have you read that yet? <laughs> yeah, no, I have not. Oh. And the reason is I knew I would be talking to a highly skilled attorney, and so I thought I'd leave that to you. Well, I, I will tell you, you will love the fact that we can't use Aristotle and Plato in the discussion of marriage because they can't show up in the now-retired Judd Walker courtroom, and Justice Alito just rips him for this. But I was, I was talking more about not the substance of the decision though that's where you went and we should, but the fact that a court made it to Dr. Arn, does that, does that bring us to the rule, the corrupt rule of the few? What is that? It doesn't fit in the tax, uh, taxonomy of governments that Aristotle gives us. Well, it does, too. It reduces, you know, the uh, tyranny, the, the bad forms of government, the, worst of, the, the most extreme form of the bad forms is tyranny, and it is the rule of will, over the rule of law. And so these judges are rightly very powerful, and it's worth reminding people why they should be. If the, if the Congress passes the law and the president signs it, and it violates the Constitution of the United States, when it gets applied to you and me and any individual or group, then they have an appeal to the Constitution. And so it has to be uh, the judges have this power. They don't have the power to make policy. They have the power to decide cases, right? And uh, that, that means that this case is settled. This particular thing that came before them is settled, and no one can tamper with that unless the court changes its mind in some future case. But uh, even that won't reverse this case. Uh, it won't change the effect on the parties of this case. But when they, when they advance a theory, as they have done, the four liberals and Kennedy, that the Constitution of the United States requires the equal treatment of different forms of what's called family. Well, the Constitution doesn't say that and, and wouldn't, would not have been read that way in any previous age. Now, think about that district court judge that you just named in that footnote. If Aristotle and Plato cannot be present in the courtroom, and, of course, they can be present in the courtroom. They're present in this conversation. Interesting. They wrote things, and you can read them. But I know where you're going. Then The, the Constitution can't be present either. Exactly. Right? Oh, I had not thought of that. I'll bet you Justice Alito didn't think of that. But that you know, is right. James Madison and Alexander Hamilton and all of them are all dead, right? Yeah. So that so, means we are just living purely as will at this point. That's it. And that's what's dangerous here, see, because it isn't just that the law is reduced to will. In addition, the argument by which it is dismisses any standard outside will 
by which to judge. So it it really does. It's going to work itself out. It can't stop where it is, all of this, because there aren't, you know, gay and straight. There's at least six or eight of them now. Uh, Classifications you know, of sexual uh, yeah, orientation. Po- polyamorous, yeah. questioning, transsexual, right? Right. What about recognition for all of them? What about, uh, you know, what, what about recognition for in the law for every kind of wish that people can have. In fact, I want to I make this very carefully so I'm not misunderstood, but the grounds on which the original LDS church was outlawed and, in fact, decertified in the 19th century and war made upon them was because they were polygamous. But under the court's ruling, one state now could readopt polygamy. I'm not saying that the Mormons want to do that. I don't wish to be misunderstood in that regard in any way, no. shape, or form. But under the court's reasoning, if Utah changed its mind back to what it originally believed, which it has no intention of doing, but if it did, the federal government would be obliged to accept it. Correct. And 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 see, that's that's where we go, right? And, and uh, it's a... You know, and see, there's all kinds of things to do that, in my opinion, are good things to do to protect the contractual rights of people who choose to live together, gay or straight, by the way. Like, one of the, you know, there's some there's some inequity in the law, in my opinion, right now that should be addressed. If, if a couple of people, a couple of brothers, a couple of sisters, a couple of anybody, a couple of brothers and sisters... If they decide to live together in a house and make their lives together and take care of each other, then why shouldn't the law recognize that they can visit each other in hospitals and leave their property to each other and a whole bunch of stuff like that, right? Right. And the gay community is, and I think, by the way, the law should allow for that. Everybody's getting older anyway. These problems are going to become uh, more common as life goes on here. More, more conversation about Aristotle and the marriage decisions. Who thought Judge Walker would be proven so wrong in real time that we have brought the old people to bear upon the most current of controversies? Dr. Larry Arn of Hillsdale and the Hillsdale Dialogues continue after the break. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening to the Hugh Hewitt Show. I am joined by Dr. Larry Arn. Dr. Arn, of course, is the president of Hillsdale College, uh, wherein, of course, all of the great books are always discussed in a wonderful way with all of the students there. But once a week at this hour, we talk about a text from the great text of the West or a great thinker of the West. And we've been speaking for many weeks of Aristotle, primarily of the ethics. But now we are in the politics and we do so in a week in which the very nature of American government is on the minds and the lips of everyone talking. The Sunday shows will be full of conversation about Supreme Court decisions dealing with the most important issues in American public life, and not merely the marriage cases, but also the question of property rights and of voting rights. And the Supreme Court acted on all of these things. And Dr. Arn, the politics is about how regimes ought to be organized. And and I can remember long ago and far away when Harvey Mansfield took up this book, I reacted to it the way you reacted when your teacher brought up the ethics, because I said, wow, this this just lays it out. Here's a, here's a roadmap for me. There's there's uh, monarchy and there's aristocracy and there's democracy and then there are their corrupt versions. And now here's what happens over time. And this is why slavery doesn't work. And this is why Plato and all the time we spent reading it makes no sense. 
it's a wonderful book, and it's relevant this very hour. Yeah, it's well. The the thing, the first thing to know about the the politics is, you can be a political scientist, and if you're a citizen, you should be because you exercise uh, authority as a citizen that requires you to understand. And uh, the, the politics is like any really great book, of course, full of complexity and richness, and one could study it for a lifetime. But in addition, it's simple to start with. Yes. It, 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 for it, lawyers. It's, uh, it's it, written for lawyers. <laughs> that, yeah, you know, that's right. That's right. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a, a friend of mine, by the way, a good friend, of a man that I admire very greatly, who happens to be a politician here in Washington. And I'm forever saying to him something I've said to you in the past. You have to stop talking like a lawyer. <laughs> he's, a, he's a really skilled, I'm not going to say his name, but he's a really skilled lawyer, and he's a great guy. And I'll say, nope, sounds like a lawyer. Don't say that. <laughs> so, so the politics is not written like a lawyer's document, although it's written so that lawyers can understand. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Perfect. <laughs> you, have, you have gotten, you got a many arrows out of your quiver at once there. I think you're going to. All gonna... right there. All right there yeah it uh it's uh so you know here's a, a first thing to know there really are two main things to know and then you can start thinking one is politics is natural because human beings naturally live in communities there are several forms of these communities and among the earthly communities which is the only kind aristotle talks about having been lived a long time before jesus christ the supreme or superior or highest one is the political community. And it's the one that's organized for us to achieve together our ultimate aims. And so the first thing is the political community, politics, by the way, if somebody asks you to define the word politics, remember that it's a form of community. Start with that, right? Students always say it's a study because to them everything is a study. They're studying everything. But it isn't. It's a, it's a way of people living together. And so once you know that and know that it's a natural way, human life is only complete when it's lived under law in political communities, then once you know that, then the, the second kind of thing you have to know is what kinds are they? And how and, best to live under them. That's, that's the citizenship part, isn't it? That's right, and and but but let's let's do the typology right. Yes. It's simple and it's very important. You just mentioned what it is. There are two categories of things by which you understand political communities. The first category is, are they good or not? And if they're good, then rule is exercised in the public interest and the interest of all. And if they're bad. Rule is exercised in the interest of the rulers. So good regimes and bad regimes, right? right. I, I believe that the danger in America right now, for example, is that it is becoming a regime exercised in the interest of an elite administrative class. I don't know if you heard this, by the way, Dr. Arn, yesterday, Congressman John Campbell announced his retirement on this show. And he doesn't have to retire. He's retiring because he's done 14 years in public life. And he's, he said, it's time to go. I'm 58 and it's time to make way. And, and he doesn't need to make a living and he's made a contribution. But I asked him, since you're free of all self-interest, now what is the absolute most important thing? 
And he said, the government is becoming onerous and self-actualizing. It is acting on its own behalf. That's it. And it's a very large class of people, not just those in the government, but people who are in the class of person, that the administrative class, it's very large, and the clients of that class. And, you know, this city, I happen to be in Washington, D.C., at our Kirby Center right now, and it's full of those people. And it's a physical change. 40 years ago, 50 years ago, it wasn't full of such people. There weren't so many such people. Interesting. So that, you know, if you just look at the architecture around, it's one of my favorite things to say, if it's ugly, it's new, and the thing going on to it inside it is questionable. Interesting. If it's beautiful, you know, go around the National Mall. You know, I'm an old man now, and when I used to come to the city in the beginning, it was all open and quiet around the National Mall. It really bustles now, and it's full of business, and it's full of all kinds of things that impinge on the old um, monuments. What about your proposition, though, that all that is old is beautiful if we look at the building in which the Supreme Court sits and all that goes on within it is good in light of what we saw this week? But of course, it's a different court now, right? And it acts differently. And, you know, you, you look at... and I thought you were going to say that it originally met in the Congress. <laughs> yeah, well, it did. But, you know, the court the court building is not that old, but the court is original and should be needs to be, and the, and the building that the court is in is actually a very worthy building, a rare modern thing that looks good. There are some others, too, some in the Federal Triangle, which were started by Calvin Coolidge, by the way. But your point is well taken, it, it, and yeah. David Brinkley, when he wrote When Washington Went to War, commented on how from 1940 forward, the city has gone through exponential growth, which I think continues in our time. That's right. Yeah, oh, very, you know, it's crazy. It's, uh, and... You know, it's the one housing market that has been basically unaffected by the housing crisis. And, and, it's, and, you know, it's thriving and it's growing like wildfire. Why is that? You know, a friend of mine looked it up. He once got an old phone book uh, from Washington, D.C. from 1962. No Fortune 500 company had a listing in the D.C. phone book in 1962. Wow. You know, wow. And now they, everybody, everybody is there. They must be there. They have no choice. It's where the power is, see? And that's a, that's a regime change, right? That's a, that's something going on that's of fundamental importance and alters everything, just like this court decision we're talking about. When we come back from break, the typology continues of Aristotle's politics, the good regimes and the bad regimes, which kinds are there Where did we begin? Where are we now? And where are we headed with Dr. Larry Arn? This week's Hillsdale Dialogue continues. All of them available online at HughHewitt.com or HughForHillsdale.com. Stay tuned. Welcome back, Americans. Hugh Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, Hillsdale.edu. If you want all of the Hillsdale online offerings and if you want the Hillsdale Dialogue, they're there as well. Or you can get to them via a shortcut at HughHewitt.com or HughForHillsdale.com. You know, Doctor, and I'm such a bad student because I have so many things I want to ask you, and I get you off track. But I, I mm-hmm. do want to know, as, as, as you at, come, at the conclusion of this week, with these decisions on marriage and the conversation about good regimes and bad regimes, before we go back to the typology of the politics, are you? Do you think we are anywhere near the, the sort of constitutional crisis? And I do not mean civil war, but the sort of delegitimization of the of the government that confronted Lincoln when he returned to active political life in the 1850s? In principle, that is established and has been for quite some time. 
and it's a, it's an old problem you have to you have to remember because modern liberalism which is a 19th century phenomenon in America late 19th century so it's more than 100 years old now begins with a rejection of both the declaration of independence and the constitution in favor in words of Woodrow Wilson of an evolutionary society not a natural society and an evolutionary government, not a constitutional government. And those are explicit claims by those guys. And they have gone, and this has gone very far now. And it's getting to the place now where some choice has got to be made. Or, you know, either by default, we're going to go down this place where we have a new kind of regime. And the regime is basically engaged in an engineering project to remake the society in which case we are subjects of the pro- of the project instead of people whose natural rights are protected by a government that we own. So the regime that is at the end of that road on which we are traveling, how would Aristotle have classified it in the typology of the politics? Uh, okay, because- I'll, I'll just finish the typology quickly and then I'll tell you. Uh, the second question, first of all, is it a good regime is the first question. And the second question is, how many rule in that regime, and in virtue of what principle do they rule? And there's only three options about how many. There's either one, or there's few, or there's many. And so if you just think about it, if you take a, one category of two and one category of three, you get six possibilities. Yep. So you can have monarchy, that's the rule of one in the interest of all. You can have uh, tyranny, the rule of one in the interest of the one. You can have uh, aristocracy, the rule of a few in the interest of all. You can have oligarchy, the rule of a few in the interest of a few. And you can have democracy, which is either good or bad, depending on whether it's in the rule just of the majority, the mob, or in the interest of all. And so those are the six kinds of regimes. What we're building, I think, would, is nearest to an oligarchy. That is a, a professional elite beholden to science, to modern advancement, that footnote that you referred to from the district court decision. That's a statement that new knowledge is better than old knowledge because new knowledge has been recently created. Yes. And that word creation is very important. Science which comes from an old word which means to know, uh, now means to make as much as it means to know. And so we are making things according to how we want them to be. And, and so we tend to an oligarchic form of government now. And, and what did Aristotle say about the natural pathway of these regimes and the cyclical nature of how they evolve or replace one another? Well, he he says that the just regimes are much more stable than the unjust regimes. You know, the Constitution of the United States is the longest enduring thing of its kind in all history. Uh, He says that the unjust regimes are very unstable, and they can, because the friction of injustice produces crises all the time. It's not right. You know, go look at, you know, Scott Rasmussen's my favorite pollster, and I know him, and I admire him very much. I think he's really smart. And uh, go look on his webpage. Uh, People are uh, hugely disaffected with 
the way of the government and the direction of it, and they feel left out by it. And in my opinion, is that's because they are. And so, also something very instructive and ominous should be understood. There's a there's a long passage in the in the politics where Aristotle says, when tyrannies are long lived, how do they achieve that? And the way they do it is they combat every form of excellence and prominence and worthiness outside themselves. They tear down any rival, especially if it's worthy and good. When we come back from break, we're going to expand on that. Don't go anywhere. Dr. Larry Arn of Hillsdale College is my guest on the Hillsdale Dialogue here on the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arn with our weekly Hillsdale Dialogue. I know you love them, but do not miss next week when, in honor of the sesquicentennial of the Gettysburg battle and the siege of Vicksburg, we will be talking about the political theory of Lincoln departing from our sort of chronological march through the great works just to pay homage to the uh, to the great emancipator. Uh, when we went to break, uh, Dr. Arndt, you were talking about a passage in Aristotle's politics about how tyranny endures. Would you repeat that and then expand on how that is illustrative for our times? Well, you, you know, like one thing that goes on in our politics is politics are very dirty and they tend to be very dirty in times like these when fundamental things are pending because both sides uh, and especially a, a, a despotic side has an interest in making everything else look low because then there's no alternative to it right there's that famous um, story of the tyrant who goes and visits another successful tyrant and he's out in the field he says how have you lasted so long and while they're talking the tyrant who's being visited takes a sickle and he's cutting off the tops of all of the tall uh, uh, stalks of grain. Yeah. And that's, you see, you, 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 if, you know, what, what, what happened in like, look at, you know, and I'm not saying we're in the condition of the Soviet Union, we're in a crisis that could lead to that. But what, what did they do? Right. What, like, the, the dissidents who were heroic people, many of their names are known. Solzhenitsyn is one of them. Sarkarov, yep. Yeah. Uh, Bukovsky. Yeah, one of the things they did was they would commit those people to insane asylums. Yeah, Vladimir They'd Bukovsky. Call them crazy, yep. right? Yep. And they would make up things about them to make them look low. And, and in a healthy society, what happens is people have differences and they argue them. And the argument is about those differences, right? And, and in, a, in a really healthy society, it is a fact that the characters of the people arguing are good, and many, by the way, on both sides in our country today are so. Uh, and then the, 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 they're not talking about themselves. They're talking about what's the right thing? What is the truth of the matter? What is the expedient thing to do given good principle and justice? And in a, in a, in a tyranny, you get away from that. And, of course, another thing that's characteristic of tyrannies, especially when they endure, is spies. People are turned against each other. And, and you know, everything you do is monitored, you know. I mean, I know of a, of a business lately. I'm not going to say who it is because they're friends of mine. But they have lately declined to testify in a hearing about a regulatory agency because the board said we could be harmed. Right now, those are free people invited to go before their elected representatives and tell their story 
about how their business is regulated, and they're afraid to do it. Because of, of, of antics like those we have seen coming out of the Internal Revenue Service. Precisely for which, so. Yeah, right? for which and, you know, recompense. I mean, they come after you. They just that, pay you back. That's right. And, and, you know, there are mobs of people who, you know, go after you, something you know a lot about, on the Internet, right? Yes. And, and they call your, you know, they fiddle with your finances and they besmirch your reputation and you are attacked. And that's, that's a bad sign when that's going on. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that was going on in the lead up to the Civil War. And that's the kind of thing that was going on in the American Revolution. And in fundamental times, that's pretty common. But because we do not have a bloody Kansas and because we do not have uh, Lefatorvo, I believe it's called prison or the hospital where Bukowski was committed or the gulag, people say that's not really what's going on. We're overstating the nature of the regime crisis. But I think you've been very careful to say the crisis that we have is a political crisis, not one of violence that is imminent, but one of choices that must be made. That's right. And, and you know, my belief, and I maintain it in public is the best language I can, my belief is that the safety against that kind of thing is limited in constitutional rule built on the natural rights of everyone, and that we will discard that safety and, and maneuver ourselves into much more dire times if we lose those blessings. Do, do you believe this is why Rand Paul resonates, by the way, because he speaks something about this and why Ted Cruz, who speaks explicitly about it, resonates and, and why some people who do not do so well simply don't get this? That's right. Yeah, I, I don't. I, you know, I think both of those men are on to this. Cruz, I happen to know pretty well. Rand Paul a little bit. And Cruz is very sharp and, you know, very serious man. And he does talk about these things. And, you know, he's an elite fancy pants lawyer like you, Hugh, and yet still seems to know a lot. Has he has his commencement address at Hillsdale been published in Imprimus yet? It is. Yeah, it's just out. Oh, people need to go to Hillsdale.edu and sign up for Imprimus just to get that. How's the reaction to that? Oh, good. And he got he got the only standing ovation I've ever seen at commencement. And and I'm very very leery of having politicians speak at con- commencement. Our experience with that has not always been good. And and uh, I was and you know I was so I was worried about this. And he did a great job. It wasn't at all a partisan speech. It was careful. He thought hard about it. He delivered it carefully. And he gave himself to the experience in ways that, in my opinion, were very praiseworthy, and people liked it. Let me conclude by asking you in a minute, and the politics we have barely touched on. Uh, 35 years ago, when I attended my commencement, Alexander Solzhenitsyn gave an address, a world split apart. 35 years later, I went back from my reunion, and Oprah gave the commencement. Any comment? Uh... (laughs) A microcosm of our time. <laughs> it is, it's almost unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> and I think she's a great communicator, don't get me wrong. Along with yeah. Rush, she has the greatest sustained audience in the world. So she's no, a talented... I know nearly nothing about Oprah, and I don't think I've ever watched her show. But I pick up in the culture and the... She's, there's a lot of good about her. Oh, absolutely. Right? But it's, yeah. it, it says something about where we have come over 35 years that Harvard has changed Solzhenitsyn for Oprah. Yeah. 
<laughs> and, uh, and that's why what we do here each week with the Hillsdale Dialogues is so countercultural and why I love it. So, Dr. Larry Arn, thank you, my friend. We talk next week about Lincoln America. Do not miss it. Really, don't miss it. Because along with Churchill, uh, Lincoln looms large in the life and the mind and the thinking of Hillsdale College, as do all of the greats in the West. So don't miss next week. Dr. Larry Arn, thank you. I'll be right back to conclude this week's Hugh Hewitt Hour. Stay with us, America.